Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I'm Nigel Griswold, CEO and co-founder of Dynamo Metrics and your host. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Smith, Acting Director for Economic and Urban Development at the City of Las Vegas. Ryan is responsible for business attraction, expansion, and retention, and redevelopment within the city. He is also the co-lead for the City of Las Vegas' innovation platform and initiatives. Before joining the City of Las Vegas, Ryan served as a Director of Business Planning and Analysis at the Nevada Governor's Office of Economic Development. Ryan played an instrumental role in administering the department's incentive and grant programs. Additionally, he helped land over 100 companies and over $5.5 billion in new capital investments. Prior to his positions in the public sector, Ryan served multiple roles in both the gaming and logistics industries. Ryan received a degree in supply chain management from Michigan State University. Our conversation covers how the city of Las Vegas is cultivating an entrepreneurial ecosystem, attracting remote talent, and leveraging data through their community development dashboard and small business research portal. And now my conversation with Ryan. Welcome to Ahead of the Curve. Today on Ahead of the Curve, we have Ryan Smith, the Acting Director of Economic and Urban Development for the city of Las Vegas, Nevada. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you being here. And so we're going to kind of do the big picture overview of of Vegas and the the economic development, urban development story and how you guys are approaching local policy right now, how it's been um, impacted by COVID-19 and now into the recovery mode. Really curious about how you guys are getting all that done. But usually where we start is kind of just a personal background on you, some some background on how you found yourself into the position of being the, the acting director of, of economic and urban development in the city kind of how you found your path in the in the public sector. Yeah, for sure. So I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I went to Michigan State University and I graduated uh, with a degree in supply chain management. I graduated in 2009 and I went to see one of my counselors and obviously it was it was peak recession and I said, you know, what's the best way to get a job? Michigan State had a really good supply chain management school. So I graduated from Michigan State and immediately got a job with a uh, trucking logistics company called JB Hunt, a big, big asset-based trucking company. I moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was working uh, basically in a Home Depot lumber yard, moving all the lumber uh, in the region for Home Depot. Uh, through a contract with J.B. Hunt. I then bounced around to a couple different accounts. I worked for an Office Depot account. I worked for a Cargill Meats account. I moved to Chicago with J.B. Hunt doing logistics transportation. Uh, Got married to my wife in 2013. We're still living in Chicago. Her parents had moved to Las Vegas in 2009. And it was like, it was the year, it was 2013. And it was the year of the polar vortex, if you remember that. <laughs> and uh, we we're kind. Of, my wife more was kind of like, "Hey, we got to get out of the cold. Uh, how about how about Vegas?" And I knew nothing about Las Vegas besides, again, being that person who only goes there when they're down at the strip. And uh, so I said, "Okay, let's give it a try." Uh, JB Hunt was 
considering opening a different line of business here. I was thinking about it. Um, my in-laws had been here for now for in Vegas for now five years. They knew some people, and they said, you know, hey, would you want to do analytics at at a large casino operator station casinos, which is a local uh, casino operator here? And so I said, sure. Um, so I kind of went from really intense, heavy operational side to now doing like corporate analytics. So that was a really interesting transition. Um, I learned a ton about the casino business and I always, I was fascinated about how they, you know, how they work. So that was really, really interesting. I worked as the manager of planning and analytics at one of their flagship properties, which is Red Rock Resort. And I really gained a lot of knowledge and, and information. The company was actually preparing to IPO again uh, while I was there, again, which created an interesting dynamic between you know, data and analytics and operational efficiencies um, and customer service. Then I randomly saw a job posting for a business development manager position in the governor's office of economic development. I knew nothing about politics or policy or development really at all, but I applied. Uh, it piqued the interest of a couple individuals in the governor's office, which was actually a very kind of small team here in Nevada. The governor at the time was Brian Sandoval. And they were working on a project for a uh, electric vehicle manufacturer called Faraday Future. They were negotiating some deal points and needed someone that could put together different analyses, but also understood logistics. I was then hired there. I worked for an individual named Steve Hill, who's now the CEO of the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. And that, <laughs> then my world changed a lot uh, because yeah. I had to learn about policy and abatements and incentives and development and utilities and all these different things. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it was really, really fun. I got to meet a lot of really interesting people and do a lot of really interesting things. Then Governor Sandoval was terming out. He was a, a two-term governor, very popular governor here in Nevada. And the office, the economic development office was kind of breaking apart a little bit. Like I said, Steve went to the Convention and Visitors Authority. Uh, we had our, we had the leader, the assembly majority leader um, take over for him for a brief period. I worked for him for a little bit. Uh, he became a senior vice president of government affairs for a gaming operator here. I saw an opportunity with the city uh, and it piqued my interest uh, just because mainly at the state, we were working on really large manufacturing deals and the city, you know, didn't really have a lot of that. The state didn't incentivize gaming because uh, we were trying to diversify the economy away from gaming that that happened in 2011 post-recession. Mm -hmm. And so then I started working at, at the city as a business development manager. And now I'm here as the acting director of economic and urban development. Wow. That's, that's cool, man. You like, you have like, um, 
corporate experience and logistics and supply chain that ultimately landed you through your story there into economic development in the public sector. That's really cool, cool path. So, so the, the first thing I have to say there is go green. I'm, I'm also a, a Spartan. All right, on, go white. <laughs> I was born and raised in the Traverse City area. So we're right down the road from each other. Um, cool. Yeah, and that's where I got, you know, my economics degrees and studied, you know, studied all the things that got me to be an economist, you know. So we share we share where we where we earned our years in education. That's cool, man. You just stuck on your path. I like deviated four times. <laughs> it's all good. I it, it it delivered a very innovative approach though for me. So it's not I'm, I'm definitely not on a traditional path. I I, I have my degrees, but I own a tech company now. Yeah. Right. Like we're we're delivering we're delivering property level real time updating data for decision support to local government across the country and to states. Right. Like it's not you know I'm not like in the Federal Reserve Bank. Right. <laughs> I got yeah. a, I got a team of engineers and like a sales and marketing department and like a whole company to run. It's it's well, a so this thing. podcast would be really great if you commit to move your tech company to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> it, like the stars really align there, huh? Yeah, um, I think my boss is listening right now. Just say yes, and then uh, I'll come. <laughs> that's a, that's a fun place to start. So that that'll pull one of the questions forward. But maybe you can talk a bit about some of the current initiatives that you guys have going, such as. Innovate Vegas and the city's innovation centers a little bit on that on that thread. Kind of talk about um, how it started, successes and learnings, just kind of like the startup community in Vegas and how you guys how you guys do those initiatives. For sure. So it's it's really interesting here. I think you know a lot of people always ask me like why do why do companies sometimes skip over Nevada? Some of the bigger announcements coming out of California and. You know, obviously the mayor of Miami has done this great job in, in pitching, you know, innovation and tech, and he reiterates it over and over again. And Austin's built its ecosystem, and now some of the large players are moving in. But, you know, I think it it all starts with organically growing the startup and entrepreneurial ecosystem. And once that ecosystem is established, then, like, you know, bigger players start to notice. And everybody talks about workforce. Like you got to have software developers. You got to have all this talent. And I, I look at that as it's multifaceted, right? We need to grow our own and then also birth new ideas. And then talent will ultimately be attracted to that type of culture. And they're also looking for cool places to live. I mean, I put myself in the same shoes of when I graduated from Michigan State, and I'm thinking like, hey, where am I going to go? One of my first choices was like, I'm going to go to a major city. Like, I want to go to Chicago. You know, I feel like half of people that graduate from Michigan State moved to Chicago, like, because it was a big city. It was like a young, vibrant city. I felt like transportation was easy. And like, whether I was working for a tech company or a logistics company, like, I just thought I wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, so here, we really didn't have an established entrepreneurial and startup ecosystem. Uh, we had Tony uh, Shea, who, you know, was this like San Francisco tech giant who brought his company to Vegas and his vision was so amazing. But the issue was it just takes a while. 
and he needs and he needs support. What year is that? Is that when you were arriving back in the early 2010, 11, 12, 13 kind of time frame? Yeah, so it was right around 2011. Okay, all right. That's thanks. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no worries. And um, so he basically had a vision of creating downtown Vegas as that epicenter for tech and innovation. His goal was to have 10,000 upwardly mobile individuals living in downtown. But what big problem he faced was that Vegas is a really young city. Vegas is only 117 years old. So it's not this legacy city that has all this vertical dense development of what you see outside of the strip. So the strip was birthed because in downtown Fremont, because people were working on the the Hoover Dam and needed a place. There was no alcohol or gambling in Boulder City. So like Vegas was kind of like their place that they could go. Federal workers could go. But there was no infrastructure in place. We didn't have housing. You know, we didn't have all these amenities. Downtown was still considered kind of dangerous. And so he started to create that. And I would contribute to a lot of things that are happening downtown because of him. Uh, But then once the Vegas tech fund kind of, I would say the money ran out. It was like, well, who's going to carry the torch to push entrepreneurialism forward in Nevada, specifically Southern Nevada and Las Vegas. And there was really nobody to do that. There's a great story. One of our partners is Jeff Sailing, who's the executive director of Startup NV. He was in Austin and he was looking for, he was looking to come to, to Vegas and he was doing research on how many accelerators Vegas had. And he found uh, there was about almost 2,000 accelerators in the United States. There was one in Nevada. So that's kind of really what we're, what we're working on with Innovate.Vegas. From a policy standpoint, the previous governor, when he was the chairperson of the NGA, his mission was to make Nevada the leader for transportation and energy innovation. Uh, Nevada is the largest producer of uh, solar energy per capita in in the United States. They're the third in gross energy production. Uh, And then from on the transportation side, the state was coming off the heels of uh, landing the Tesla Gigafactory in northern Nevada. And also working on a piece of legislation called AB69, which allowed for autonomous vehicles to test on public roadways without any additional layers of approval. So basically there's one approving body and then any autonomous vehicle can test and no local government can basically step in and say you can't. Wow. The city had the first autonomous vehicle and mixed flow traffic. And then now I would say Vegas is one of the leaders in transportation innovation in the United States. Mm-hmm. And me, I'm, I'm based in Ann Arbor. And so it's like, the, I'm, in a, I'm in another one of those hubs, right? Yes, you guys are a big, yeah, M city and Ann Arbor's and yes. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. Those are some of the things that I don't know, or, you know, our listeners don't know. And so the innovate, will you get into a little bit of the weeds on the innovate Vegas fund? Like, or is it a fund or these innovation centers? Like how would a, you know, you can pitch it real quick, you know, like how would a, a startup or like how do startups come to fruition in that ecosystem? What is that ecosystem like and what kind of companies sounds like energy and transportation is happening, but 
how do you access resources? Like what is like at the ground level if you're, you know, trying to start a company in Vegas? Like how do those, how does the city participate in that or, or help run it? And, and what does a partnership look like? Yeah. So the International Innovation Center is basically our one-stop shop for that. It was birthed because we have an innovation platform where companies can apply for pilot projects with the city. And so rewind one second. In 2016, we created an innovation district, which is all of downtown, which basically cuts all the red tape to test technologies in a sandbox uh, in downtown Las Vegas. Uh, We had a lot of companies that wanted to test these technologies here uh, for multiple reasons. One, we we cut the red tape. We basically said, anybody's welcome. Come pitch us the technology. We'll look at it. We'll install it. We'll help. You know, you can showcase it here. Well, the showcasing it here has really been big because obviously there's, you know, conventions coming in every single week. Uh, sure. People are pitching products. And if you're able to actually show how the technology is working in a, in a live environment and like literally drive, see the hardware, see how the software integrates, um, it's been a big value to companies. That's got to be big for the IoT space, like the Internet of Things space then. Yeah, yeah, it was it was all it was all things smart city. So I mean even even autonomous vehicles, like sure. the reason why Motional launched here and there's other huge companies, Zooks uh, is launching here is because it's really this huge showcase for them on their technology. So we invited those companies on the economic development side, it's hey, not only do you test here, but you your company can grow here or you can have a regional headquarters or something like that. Because there's an ROI in just actually planting assets here instead of traveling to every single show. And the city wanted to be a leader in technology as well. So we wanted to see the best technology, how it interfaces with, you know, whether it be public infrastructure or software, and then look at it ourselves. And so that, that was how it was birthed. And then we looked around and said, what strategic partners can we pull into this? So if we get, let's say, startup, scale up companies, we can actually help them grow, find other programs, find mentorship, find sources of funding. So that's where groups like Startup and V came in. They're a nonprofit that is basically an accelerator that takes companies if they get accepted into they they can pitch their their product or service. They give unbiased feedback. They have a group that meets. Uh, if they get accepted into the platform, they get a free space at the innovation center, and. They basically have like 12 months to get ready for their seed round of funding. And then they also control multiple funds. So they put together the group of angel investors that have an angel fund. They have a seed fund. They have all these different funds. The state government had some platforms. Um, One was called Water Start, which was supposed to bring in all these uh, new water technologies into the state. Water is obviously a issue. A commodity commodity in demand. Yes, commodity in demand in, in Vegas. And so, so their platform, they have members like our water authority, MGM, they're saying, hey, come in and show us the best water technologies and we'll look to do a pilot project for water in one of our locations. So that's how we kind of uh, attract uh, companies into the platform and then, yeah, provide them resources to help them grow. We also try to cultivate the community. So we're holding events like we have a Tech Alley event that's mainly just to talk about actual technology and we get presenters and there's different topics and then well, we have a group of key stakeholders that talk about you know what is nevada and las vegas doing right in terms of building programs to help startups grow what are we doing wrong where can we help 
Um, we have people from the gaming sector, from companies that have actually scaled here, companies that had to leave here and then come back, like just a group of, of like-minded people. And so we all cultivate that at the International Innovation Center. And we, uh, the city takes the lease. We then subsidize subleases, essentially, of the facility. We have uh, kind of like a WeWork model. We have uh, like large offices for companies that are a little bit bigger and growing. We have small offices for one to two to three people. And then we have hot desk space where, you know, one individual could take a desk. How's the venture community rallying? Are you are you pulling in any any permanent venture funds or um, pulling in the interest of the coasts or of the Texas or of the different parts of the country that are the big VC funds? Like how's the venture space? So I would say we're like, it's in such an early infancy, but it's starting to grow. And I'll tell you the reasons why. So there's a really interesting stat from Startup MV. They've had, I think it's something like 44 companies come through their platform. Sure. They've raised $89 million. Of that $89 million, 1% has come from Nevada. Wow. So it's a staggering stat. That, and that's really what triggered Jeff to like grow this angel group. Like, hey, we, we really didn't have angels here and we needed them to come together. We just had an event, which is a really good event, where we did have over 40 angels. I think maybe someone like 50 angels come. They all made an investment. They picked the company. Uh, it was called the Angel Conference. They've done one uh, some, something similar in San Diego. UNLV, our biggest university down here, also has, has launched a, a tech park. And there's a there's an accelerator that went in there. They a lot of their partners are uh, some of the big gamers that are looking at different types of hospitality gaming technologies, uh, and they have uh, brought in a, a VC group that actually has located in that facility. We're working with a couple different national accelerators that'll pull some different groups in into Nevada. Um, but we have a, a lot of work to do in terms of of on the capital side. Yeah, that's that's exciting stuff though. That's really cool to hear all about your kind of your economic development approach on and some of the history of it on on bringing the startup world in there. So a little a little pivot in the conversation into more the the bread and butter perhaps, you know, the usual conversation is more like the traditional economic development approach to things, right? Like um, I'm curious about what the spread of how you spend your energy is. We were just talking about Innovate Vegas and the whole startup side of things. But then on the more traditional side of like you were talking about earlier, TIF or incentives or whatever, for you know economic and urban development priorities in Vegas, like what are those priorities and what are some of the other initiatives that are more tied into you know priorities beyond what we just what we just covered? Yeah. So I'll say one one thing um, a lot of people don't know, but Vegas actually has four jurisdictions. The city of Las Vegas, which is the largest municipality, uh, we represent six to 700,000 people. We have Henderson, Nevada, which represents probably close to 400,000. We have North Las Vegas, which represents 300 to 350. And then we have unincorporated Clark County, which represents probably more like a million. And there's all these different assets in Southern Nevada. And so like really the main 
industrial centers are North Las Vegas, Henderson. So a lot of the big manufacturing deals, Henderson has a deal with Haas Automotive. Haas Automotive is moving to, to Vegas. It's something like a 2 million square foot facility. And so in the city, we really, our main focus is startup, small business, healthcare, and redevelopment. And so our office is also part of the redevelopment agency for the city. And so we'll use TIFF or TID or different programs that we can to actually build projects. And a lot of what we're trying to build downtown is really housing and amenities. Downtown didn't really have that many multifamily housing complexes or condo buildings. We had a couple. And then on the amenity side, like, you know, we want to be the cultural epicenter of Las Vegas. So our arts district is actually super cool. Like I've, again, like I've lived in some big cities and I, I know that this is an asset where like people will really gravitate toward it. And just to put that in perspective, like we have eight brand new breweries that are all clustered within probably a mile of each other. Uh, we're working on getting a couple distilleries. There's some funky like vintage art shops. Like think of like, you know, Austin a little bit. And that's really kind of like our, our arts district. Uh, which is growing really fast. And it was really built for locals. So a lot of locals will come down. Um, there's like no chain restaurants. It's all local. Yeah. Chefs. But again, once word gets out and people, you know, are coming down to the strip, they'll be like, oh, this is a cool place. We should go check that out. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of that in Michigan, like place-based, sense of place-based economic development, right? Like making it feel like you're part of something when you're in it. Yes. Yeah. And even even we when we were looking at Brewery Row, I mentioned Grand Rapids because Grand Rapids kind of I think their tagline is Beer City or something. And so, you know, some of those base principles, because when I go back, I always see I always go downtown and I see these things like I see the breweries and in our medical district, I see some very similar things happening from what happened in Grand Rapids to what's happening here. So in Grand Rapids, Basically, the medical mile is what it's called, was anchored by a, a major uh, hospital system. Um, and, then, and then philanthropic dollars start to came, come in. So DeVos, Van Andel, DeVos did DeVos Children's Hospital. There's a Van Andel Cancer Institute. And so things started to build. And then you started to see all the universities come in. So yeah. Michigan State, Grand Valley State. Western Michigan. I, I think University of Michigan might have something down there. And then they just announced a research center, a Michigan State Research, I think, Sequia Research Lab or something. So here in Vegas, we, we have in our medical district, we were anchored by a public hospital, which is our UMC. We had some university assets operating, but we had no uh, school of medicine. So we really didn't have, we, we had no medical school. You know, there was no medical school in, for our major uh, university in Southern Nevada. And then the School of Medicine, the cohort of new uh, medical students came in. The first, I think 120, it was either 60 or 120, were all scholarshiped. And all of a sudden, this brand new building is, has gone vertical there called the Kirk Kikorian School of Medicine. So Kirk Kikorian 
is basically the founder of MGM. And his family, through an, an, another group of donors, had made that donation uh, to build that facility. So I'm starting to see like, you know, hey, there's a lot of philanthropic dollars going into, into medicine in this area, kind of clustered in the medical district. You have our university system and our two of our major uh, hospital players, one, the public hospital and two, Valley Health, or Valley Hospital is also uh, located in the area. So, so all, of a sudden, all of a sudden you have a more diverse economy than just the gaming industry and, and tourism, but you, you have more sustained parts of the economy, right? I mean, that's, that's what I'm hearing. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're now you're looking at bringing in doctors and research and all of these things. And there was this perception in Vegas that to get good health care, you had to get on a plane. You know, you had to fly to UCLA. You had to go to, you know, Mayo, some, somewhere else. And that Vegas didn't have good health care and good health care outcomes. And we, we, you know, we, we, we lack doctors because we weren't growing very many doctors locally here. So we had to say, hey, come move to Vegas. Um, we also had, you know, we were, we were one of the, the lowest states for Medicaid reimbursement rates. So, you know, there was all these kind of factors that were contributing to people's perception that, well, hey, there's no good health care here in, here in Vegas. Uh, but what I will say is that's changing very rapidly. We have, like I said, this, the university is making tons of, I mean, millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of investments in the medical district. Um, we have new players entering our market. Intermountain Health has come in. They're a huge player on the on the West Coast. They they have primary children's hospital in Salt Lake City. They're basically a, a mega healthcare conglomerate uh, that has now entered Vegas. So I think that's a huge economic development opportunity. It's going to bring tons of high paying jobs and keep a lot of money uh, within the community and from a healthcare perspective. It's yeah. all happening downtown as well. Yeah, and so this is so this is where I get curious about like. Okay, so if you have a more diversified economy than just the gaming industry and the, the downtown, the strip tourism, the thing that everybody thinks of when they think of Vegas, right? Obviously, there's other things going on. And so what I'm really curious about is um, how the pandemic impacted trajectories in terms of your economic development um, approaches in the city. And like I get this thing in my head where I'm like, wow, the strip was shut down and sold you know, the whole economy of Vegas must have been just like screeched to a halt or something, which doesn't seem like is the case at all. And so it's like, how did how did the pandemic impact the trajectory and just the, the economic development and growth strategies and and how where are we at now? Like as things are starting to loosen up a little bit and in some of the learnings maybe. Well, so I think it brought, so one thing I do believe is it really shed a light on back to the forefront, Vegas needs to diversify. We had 30% unemployment, and even, even in perspective. So there's a lot of criticism of the, the Tesla deal in Northern Nevada. But when you actually look at it and look at the, the unemployment rates in Reno compared to Vegas, Reno has through Tesla, its supply chain, other industrial uses, I mean, Google has a data center there, Switch has a data center there. Like they were much less affected from an unemployment perspective than Southern Nevada. So it kind of brought back the light of like, hey, Southern Nevada, we need to continue to diversify. 
Wow, it showed the value of diversity yes. through that direct case study. Through a direct data point. But what I will say is it has made me extremely bullish on Vegas. And this is why. So one, one, one interesting point. Our consolidated tax revenue collections, which is our main, our main source of, of revenue for government here, it was up 14.6% in April of 2021 compared to April of 2019. So skip the pandemic, go a year before, which 2019 was a banner year for Vegas. Our C-tax revenue collections was up 14.6% this April compared to the one two years ago. I feel like that method of measuring year-over-year change is like the right way to do it right now because anything compared to last year is... No, yeah. We're up, like, we're up like 600% compared to last year. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm saying. 14.6% compared to 2019. And our housing market is at all-time high. So, so here's why I think there's this kind of perfect storm of events brewing here that's going to create some explosive growth in Vegas. So we had the pandemic. It affected Vegas a ton, but it also created stimulus. The governments here in Nevada received a lot of money, a lot of stimulus money. Uh, people you know, received stimulus checks. There's new bills coming, infrastructure bills coming out, things like that. We also had this migration out of these major cities. So we launched a remote work campaign with the sole purpose of if somebody at Facebook or Google or one of these major companies doesn't have to be tech, but somebody that's made an announcement that says you can work anywhere now for the rest of your life. And they're used to sharing a four bedroom apartment in San Francisco with three other people. And they still pay $2,000, $3,000 a month. If you were to translate that into Vegas, what can you get? And you can basically get a massive house with a huge pool. It's like a resort. That's exactly what Michigan's leaning into right now, right? Like that catchment of that talent change. There's like a big shift. People vote with their feet, right? It's a big moment. So we invited, we actually invited people. At first we targeted tech because those were the first companies to make the announcements. They were kind of the leader and like, we're doing remote work. Plus, we thought we feel like Vegas should be a place for innovation and technology. So we basically threw up a, a very targeted LinkedIn campaign. We also did some digital marketing, but basically we found these people on LinkedIn. We connected with very specific people and we literally personally reached out to them and we're like, hey, would you be interested in hearing more about an opportunity in Vegas? And then we picked up the phone. And we had calls with hundreds of people at these companies saying, hey, would you ever consider Vegas? Some, you know, some people said no right away. Uh, but a lot of people were interested. And then sure. in May, we actually brought a lot of those people out to check out Vegas and what it is outside of the Strip. They looked at what homes they could get. All yeah. these different things, what, what amenities that were here that they may never have known about. And so there's a huge value proposition of that. And I think that's what's a major factor in our in our housing market. I mean, you know, we have all time highs for median home price, record low inventory, um, records like high sales are some of our most expensive real estate transactions that happened in this past year. Uh, all these CEOs from these huge companies, I think I'm trying to think of the, there was just an announcement, one of the I think the most expensive home in Las Vegas ever sold. And 
to the CEO of Loan Depot here. So there's all these CEOs, there's all these high net worth, high net worth people moving into Vegas. And so what did the, what does that create? Well, that creates, you know, discretionary spend. A lot of these CEOs are probably thinking, and I know they're thinking it because I speak to some of them of, well, I should move, you know, part of my company here, maybe all of my company. I don't know enough yet, but definitely part of it. I don't see why the other, you know, executives can live here. So a contrast question on that is, I imagine then the affordable housing side from the service industry, which is so prevalent, there starts to be a pressure point there on housing affordability. Oh, is that right? 100%. Yeah. 100%. That yeah. happened first in Northern Nevada, and it's definitely happening here now. We, we already have a comparably low amount of what's considered truly like affordable housing. You know, and then workforce housing is another word people use. It's definitely putting a lot of pressure on that, which again, now that comes back to government and policy and where where we look at creating new models. And I, I can tell you at the city, like we do a lot of multifamily deals and we've created things that really provide developers incentives to create affordable units or mixed income type units in any multifamily development here, right which on. is not something we've ever had to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those are classy problems, right? And then what I wonder about also on, on top of that is like, is there transportation planning rolling alongside there? Like um, as you build out more dense workforce housing and things like that, like because, you know, infrastructure build whatever, I'm really curious about how that might play in. At the highest level, like, you know, I feel like in every city I've lived in, Chicago has the L, Minneapolis was building all this light rail. Vegas has really good freeway access points. But like as far as like public trans goes, like our our traditional method is buses. But what I will say is, you know, I don't know if you've seen in the news, but the Boring Company has already launched its tunnel underneath the convention center, it's connecting to the wind. It will be coming all the way downtown, potentially into our medical district, connect all the way down the strip over to the airport. The new uh, Brightline train, high-speed rail is very, I mean, I a lot of people are very skeptical of whether there will be a high-speed rail between LA and Vegas. In my personal opinion is, I believe it's gonna happen and I believe this is the right group to do it. You know, I met with their president. I met with multiple people. I do believe their strategy is on point. They have the funding. And it's, you know, you can look in the newspaper. There was just an announcement. They've actually purchased the land for their station. So there's a lot of things. There's an, we're, we've already built out our portion of I-11, which is supposed to better connect Phoenix and Arizona into, in, into Vegas and all the way up to northern Nevada. There's wow. a lot of things happening. In the in the transportation from a transportation perspective here, there's um, a, there's so much to cover. We're we're running up against time. I wanna I wanna make sure I get a, a a question in here about the role. Okay, so you have you know you have big responsibility. There's obviously a lot of big projects. So growth pressure. You're you're operating within a lot of opportunity on the horizon. A major U.S. location, right? Mm-hmm. So. I'm curious about the data, the data, the use of data and technology for strategy, for planning, for communication and day-to-day work with you and your staff and your your 
co-departments and your, your partners. Um, how do you guys work with data? How do you work with technology and uh, those types of things to, to get the job done? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big data guy. I'm a big data believer. Obviously I did, you know, analytics for one of the major casinos. And I believe that every single decision that was made, (laughs) uh, at least, you know, had a significant uh, percentage reliance on data. You know, obviously there's every, every once in a while there's some one-offs. And so coming from the corporate world, and just getting that understanding of how big multi-million, potentially billion dollar decisions are made, like you have to be extremely confident in the data and believe that there is, you know, value, whether it be in a project or a site location or just Vegas in general, like, is there value to having X here or Y here? So, you know, you, you mentioned our, our community dashboard. We use that. We have our own, uh, a sm- small business data portal. I really personally love that data portal, again, because I'm coming from the analytics side. And for small businesses, they don't have a me sitting there being like, okay, put all this data together so I can make a big decision. You know, they really have to operate their business and do all the things from a strategic perspective to say, is this the right decision for my business? So that tool allows what I would call, um, big data and analytics in the most simplest way for a small business owner to be able to use to make data data driven decisions about their business like they can see market opportunities they can look at competitor information and in and around areas it can look at marketing and where they should marketing be marketing where there's gaps in the market and in las vegas for potential new sites or expansion like there's just so many things i think about in there that I've seen on the big corporate side where I was like, how does this, how does this translate to small business? And I believe this tool makes it really easy for a small business to use it. Uh, that's time efficient for them. We also have uh, a lot of information on obviously like labor analytics. We use a system called uh, Chimera, which gives us information. I really feel like through our systems, we're able to, and our analyst team uh, here can find any data points. It's just getting them, getting the data organized properly to really make those pitches to the CEOs or the decision makers or the projects that are looking at Vegas. So that to me is kind of the artistry of it. So how does, how does that stuff get distributed on day to day with staff? Is there, are there decisions being made using tools internally? So we also have a a CRM system that we use where that is kind of like the interface between, you know, projects, day-to-day work, communication that we've had with clients. And then basically those, we use those data sets to input into our CRM. So like anybody can see, you know, on our team, what we pitch to a developer for this property or what we've talked to them about, or we'll, we'll put something in there for maybe a business that we're looking at, you know, saying, Hey, here's the set, here's what we pitched to them. And so that's our main point of like communication within the department about who's working on what, what they're using for the projects, um, what's been presented and what's communication has been, has, there has been with the clients. Mm-hmm. So we're almost out of time. I want to, I want to honor it. Like, 
maybe a quick second to um, offer to your your peers like a, a key insight that you've captured working in the public sector that you might want to share with other listeners before we close out just because we're up against time? Yeah, it's, man, that's a that's an interesting question. So like you're talking about peers in economic development. Yeah, yeah. The people that do what you do in other cities, like what's something that you've you've learned in your role that like you could you could share with them that may be useful? Again, I believe there's a, a huge part of this business and economic development is relationships. Everybody's going to say that like, yeah, I know I need to have relationships, but man, we've had so many things happen just because of, of different relationships. And then I would say, you know, make sure that you're that you're just you go out and take, you know, massive actions and be bold. Like, think about things that are happening in in the the U.S. and the world, and try to find opportunities. Like, you know, Michigan is doing the same thing, but we even started the looking at remote work before COVID. We yeah. were getting we were getting with Fiverr and Upwork to be like, hey, there's freelancers. How do we get them here? Like, right now is such a huge. Um, factor but to be honest that's going to go down because of remote work so people are going to be like well it's not as important for me to for you guys to have 100 software developers anymore because you know what i have five of them sitting in uh new york and three of them down in miami and i've got one of them over here and so maybe look at what is the core functionality of these businesses that you want to locate and then how can you use kind of trends that are happening in the us and the world to pitch a solution on your city. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's good. That's good stuff. Hey man, I really I really appreciate this time. I wish we weren't so pressed. I feel like we could talk for another hour. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It's always fun to to talk about this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ahead of the Curve. And special thanks to Ryan for joining us today. 